Welcome to the Love Before 100 podcast. I'm Rachel Birch, and I'm here because everyone says dating in your 40s sucks. So I decided to make a game out of it. Part scavenger hunt, part bucket list. I made a list of all the ways I could meet my person. Then I assigned every task a points value. The goal now, find love before I hit 100. Points or years, whichever comes first. You got me shaking, This week, we cross, well, wait, we'll get to that. First, let's pick up where we last left off, shall we? I was sitting in a parking lot at 11.30 at night with a stranger, contemplating going to his hotel room with him. Yes, me, the woman whose fear of, well, everything typically keeps her from even getting in a car with a date to go to a restaurant, let alone back to a hotel room. That woman was considering saying yes because I'm tired of following the good girl script and because letting myself have this experience sounds really good right now and because I'm really missing physical touch and because I created a bucket list, a scavenger hunt of ways to feel passion, adventure, excitement, and fun and yet the very thing that would allow me to feel all those things at one time is sitting right in front of me and I'm supposed to say no I'm going to say no. I always say no to this type of situation. Actually, I don't really even let myself get this close to this type of situation. I'm going to say no. But what if I said yes? What if I just went with him? What if I let myself experience this without judgment or expectations? Judgment, that's a big one. But the bigger one is expectations. Or rather hope, attachment. Like, what does this mean? What will happen tonight? And and then what? And then what? That's the one that gets me. What if this is just tonight? Okay. Well, what if it is just tonight? If it's just tonight, then what would feel good? Well, I could go with him and just kiss him horizontally instead of, well, vertically. My mind starts to negotiate what going to his hotel room could look like. And besides, this isn't just any stranger. This is a gift from the universe. This is an answer to my call for help. Earlier that day, I had said the words, please help me, out loud. And so if the universe was going to send me someone to answer my call for help, wouldn't the universe make it so obvious that I couldn't miss it? I think the universe would send me a fireman, who is literally the definition of help and safety. It couldn't be more obvious if he had a sign posted on his forehead. Plus, we know he's safe. He just showed me four forms of photo identification. Oh my God, Rachel, I can't believe you asked him for photo ID in the middle of a makeout session. But he didn't even flinch. He's like, yep, here's my driver's license, my work ID, my concealed weapons permit, and my Costco card. Roseanne would be so proud. Oh my God, Roseanne, what about Roseanne? I told her I'd be gone for an hour, max. It's been three, and I haven't even checked my phone. She must be so worried. I'm sure I have at least five text messages from her, and probably even a missed call or two. I pull out my phone. Nothing. Not one single text message. So if she's not worried, maybe I shouldn't be either. I sit there, watching some rogue part of me, starting to convince the rest of me that I should do this. And then, before any other part of me can respond, 
that rogue part of me turns to him and says, okay, let's go. Wait, what? What just happened? My heart is racing. As he goes to pull out of the parking lot, I buckle my seatbelt. Okay, here we go. I push my back into the seat and listen as Cinderella continues to play. My phone is still in my hand. I type out a quick text to Roseanne. I'm safe. I'll be back soon. I slide my phone back in my purse and try to relax. I realize I'm now gripping the sides of the seat like I'm on a roller coaster ride. I stare out the window and listen while he tells me about the hotel. It's simple, not super nice, but it works. It's a short drive. We pull up, park, and he walks me over to a room on the ground floor. As he pushes the key into the lock and starts to turn it, I notice the hotel room number, 116. Hmm, nothing magical about those numbers. I notice I feel slightly disappointed about that. He pushes the door open and I step inside. I look around his hotel room. His bed is made. It's obvious he made it. I love a man who makes his bed even on vacation. The discipline is very sexy. He's right. It's not fancy, but I'm not looking for fancy. He asks if I want anything to drink. I look over the nightstand and there are two half-drunk bottles of Pepsi next to the bed. Then he sits down on the edge of the bed and pulls me toward him. He kisses me. We continue the makeout session we started in the car. I'll spare you the details. This isn't that kind of podcast. And then we lay next to each other for a while and he rubs my shoulders gently. I really like how this feels. Not just the massage, but the connection, the closeness, the intimacy. He's really tender with me. I see the difference between my last experience and this one. This is more of what I'd want in a relationship. Then I tell him, I better get back to my hotel. Part of me really wanted to stay, but it was time to go. He drives me back and kisses me goodnight. And in case you're wondering, of course you're wondering, no, we didn't have sex. I had no intention of doing that and he didn't try. I think there was just a silent understanding that that's not what we were looking for at that moment. Wait, are you disappointed? You seem disappointed. Yeah, I'm talking to you, not him. He was definitely not disappointed. Anyway, I walk back into my own hotel room to find Roseanne asleep on the bed. It looks like she fell asleep working. I doubt she even saw my text. Some security plan she turned out to be. I laugh to myself and get ready for bed. I crawl into bed and send him a link to the podcast. He texts back, you'll have to send me my episode. At dinner, I had told him about the podcast because I didn't expect the night to unfold like it did. And I said that I'd probably have something to say about him in the Sedona episode. Oh boy, do I. I fall asleep very pleased with myself. First, I had an experience that felt magical to me. Everything about it felt right. And second, I used good boundaries to protect my heart. I've learned my lesson that no matter how great a date feels, there's no guarantee there will be any further contact from the guy after the date. So I only let myself go as far as I'd feel comfortable if I never heard from him again. And that might sound pessimistic, but it's actually really empowering. And yes, I still hope to hear from him again, but at least if I don't, I won't regret anything. So today, I officially crossed something I put on the list and didn't actually expect ever to cross off from episode six, season one, a swing for the fences, night of passion, 
without the expectation of more. Holy shit, I did it. I'm so proud of myself. That might sound funny, but I overcame so many fears and I lived to tell about it. I stepped so far outside of my comfort zone. I don't even know what zone I stepped into, the twilight zone, maybe? Today, during the retreat, again, I'm in Sedona for a retreat led by my friend and mentor, Kyle Cease. Today, Kyle had said, honor the opportunity and the fear goes away. Honor the fear and the opportunity goes away. I had definitely honored the opportunity and I'm so glad for once I didn't honor the fear instead. The next day, Roseanne and I had to day two of the retreat. On the drive over, I fill her in on last night's events. She's shocked and excited. I'm still on a high from conquering my fears. There's something so satisfying about conquering your fears, whatever they may be. This is what personal development is all about. Well, not this exactly, but you know what I mean. And although I'm focused on learning, I'm already wondering about Patrick. That's the guy's name from last night, Patrick. And whether he'll text me. As I sit in the theater thinking about last night, I hear Kyle say from the stage, It's because this moment is temporary that it's so amazing. Hmm, okay. So what if what makes the connection with Patrick so special is that it only lasted one evening? Then wouldn't it be okay if I never hear from him again? And actually, wouldn't that make things even more special? Sure, yeah, I can buy into that. Although I'm not 100% convinced yet. As I mentioned, I don't expect more, but would I take more? Yeah, I just want more of a good thing. And also, I want to know that the connection was real. For me, hearing from him again would somehow confirm that we had a real connection. But sadly, I haven't heard anything from Patrick today. I try and tell myself, you're okay with that, remember? You only asked for an experience of passion. And the universe definitely delivered. Can't you just enjoy that? I kind of mumble to myself reluctantly. I guess so. At the break, I go outside and get some fresh air and sunshine. It's super dark in the theater. Plus, the service in the building is awful. And I'm itching to scroll Instagram to distract from the empty feeling I have inside. All of a sudden, a flurry of texts come through. And one is from Patrick. It says, I feel bad for keeping you up so late. I hope you survive your event today. Oh, he did text. In fact, it was sent hours ago, and I just didn't get it because of the crappy service. I won't lie, it feels really good to hear from him. He didn't have to text me, but I'm glad he did. We text a little bit more that day. He lets me know that he's on his way to the airport, and then he texts when he lands at home, and then he texts the next day. The texting continues, and once I'm back home, he continues to text me daily. He's listening to the podcast, yes, this podcast, and he's really enjoying it. He sends me his thoughts on each episode that he listens to. I love this because I wondered in the past if this podcast might be a problem in a relationship. And I've actually had guys ask not to be mentioned in the podcast. But Patrick really seems to appreciate it. And I would want that in a partner. Uh Uh-oh, see? This is where the problem starts. This is how attachment builds for me. And once that starts, then I start to daydream. It starts slow, just an innocent question. So what could this look like with a guy who lives a thousand miles away? My mind starts to wander. Well, first we'd have to see each other again, like a second date. 
okay, and where would that happen? Well, maybe we'd meet somewhere in the middle, or maybe he'd come down for a visit. Okay, and would I want that? Yeah, I would. I like him, and I'd like to see him again. Okay, and so if he came for a visit, what would we do? Well, we could go to the beach, we could go on hikes, make dinner, and uh, what better person to help me conquer my fear of the flames of my pizza oven than a fireman? I start to imagine what it could look like. See, this is my problem. We call it future tripping. It's dangerous when I let my mind wander and I don't stay focused on what's right in front of me. I snap out of it just as a text comes through from him. It says he's off for the next few days. I think to myself, come visit me. I actually have to stop myself from texting him that because I've been playing in the fantasy of what if all day. Instead, I reply, so what do you like to do with your time off? Phew, that was a close one, Rachel. The night before his episode came out, the last episode, he texts me to see how it's coming along. I ask if he wants a preview, and he does. I send it to him and immediately feel nauseous. I hope he likes it. After exactly 41 minutes, the length of the podcast, he replies, wow, that was really great. He talks about all the parts he enjoyed and the parts that made him laugh out loud. And then he talks about how magical the night was. I'm trying to read between the lines. It seems like he's saying that night as an isolated incident. I start to feel sad, but I get it. It doesn't make sense for us being so far apart. Although it's interesting because I thought I wasn't open to a long distance relationship, but Patrick makes me reconsider. If he was open to it, I'd definitely explore it, but it sounds like he's not. But then he texts, if only it wasn't a thousand mile drive for a second date. Oh, wait, what's that mean? We chat just generally back and forth. And then he offers, by the way, there's nothing wrong with you. He's referring to the part of the podcast episode where I said I started to wonder if there was something wrong with me after getting ghosted multiple times in a row. What a sweet man. I genuinely like him. Ugh, this is so hard. I finally find someone good and he lives so far away. According to Instagram, if a guy wants to see you, it'll be obvious. Okay, so it's not obvious. I guess that means no. Finally, I decide just to clarify. He's a good guy and I know he'll be honest with me. Things just get lost in translation over text. So I make sure I start by saying that I'm open to a second date. I want him to know that I'm open. And even though that's risky and even though that's vulnerable, I'm no longer afraid of that. I want what I want. And if you don't want that also, I want to know that. So I continue. But it sounds like you're saying the distance is an issue for you. He responds and says that he does like me and that if we lived close, there would be a second date for sure. But that yes, the distance is an issue for him. He just doesn't see how it can work. I can tell that he doesn't want to hurt me and that he's being sincere. Okay then, we have our answer. I get it. Long distance is not for everyone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't need the sad music this time. I'm good. Really? I know you're probably thinking, wait, that's it? Why don't you tell him that you'll fly up there? Or why don't you suggest meeting someplace in the middle? But yeah, that's it. That's all I need to know. I'm not going to try to convince anyone to see me again. I'm not going to try to talk someone into a second date. I've done that before. And trust me, it never ends well. And so Patrick and I are still in touch. 
which is nice. And I'm proud of me that I'm under no delusion that our friendship will turn into something. I've really reached a place where I can take people at face value and not romanticize things. I'm happy to have met him. There's no need to cut him off. Things will either naturally fall away or we'll stay friends. This feels so much more civilized than having to block someone or cut them out of your life because they don't want the same thing as you or because they couldn't show up as an adult and communicate with you. I think what makes it particularly easy this time is that this man had the strength and compassion to answer me without disappearing. And that gave me something many of my other interactions didn't. I experienced this amazing night of passion, this amazing gift from the universe with a quality individual. And now I know that healthy passion can feel as good, if not better, than unhealthy attachment. And so I decided to reach out to Kyle and ask for some advice as I continue on this path of growth and learning how to date without attachment. And in typical Kyle fashion, he goes deep immediately. We're already talking about our inner children and how they show up in relationships. Take a listen. It's a child that's in your body taking action when you're a grown-up. Right. Like here we are in our 40s with a five-year-old going, get special. Yeah. Right? It's not you. You're the one sitting here. You, you and I are the ones sitting here. Like everything's fine. Right. But I could let the kid take over and be like, I'm unseen. I'm attacked. I'm not loved. I'm not special. You get what I'm saying? I totally get it. And it's funny because I'm thinking, yeah. And who's the one that's showing up on the date? Who's the one that's writing the dating profile? Like each scenario of a relationship, this dating process, there's a five year old and there's a 40 ish, 40 plus year old. But like when you get ghosted, who's getting ghosted? The five year old or the 40 ish year old? Because you're going to react accordingly, right? And who's doing the ghosting, right? A five-year-old, we're all just transcending our children that are all a bunch of fears that I find that when you investigate deeper, they dissipate. It's literally a lack of truth and investigation that causes these patterns to stay here. Yeah. Like imagine the difference of like even being like, that guy ghosted me. Okay, so that, that grown man in his power, uh, the word ghost has so much more to it than just chose to not call me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, why not call it stabbing or massacre, you know, like heart massacre. Right. If we can step back and have perspective at any point along this timeline, um, it gives us so much freedom and so much peace. And there's a lot of compassion that we can have for ourselves and for other people where it's just kind of like, I bless you and, and let you go. And yeah, I was telling you how I had worked through one of my stories to the, the need to be seen. Like when I started seeing myself, I really, I really got to the place where I thought, okay, I feel fulfilled in this. My five-year-old is seen and like, I'm good now. I, I could see my, the, the choices I was making and the emotions that were coming up just shift as a result of that. But when I went to your event, I learned that coupled with that one was the need to be remembered. Like, see me, but don't stop seeing me. Like, I don't need you to see me, but because you're going to see me, I see me, mm-hmm. but don't stop seeing Like, I want to be significant. And I thought, how crazy is that in the context of a relationship? Because one of my like triggers is I want consistent communication. So essentially, it's 
don't stop seeing me, keep remembering me constantly, you know, communicating with me. Right. And let me ask you this. One of the things I point out at the event is whenever there's a specific request of the ego, it's very big to try to get specifics to know when you're there. So I've used this a lot as an example, but if someone says, I'm worried that I won't be enough, I like to ask their ego, when do you measure that you are enough? Right? When, when do we know we hit it? $100,000 a year? Dad says, good job. Like, what, you're married? How do you know that you, what's the line? Because deal, ego, we'll try to get to enough. What's the line? And for you, how long do you need to be remembered for it to suffice? Like, what's the, I need to be remembered what, forever? Like, long after I die? I want the ex to remember me six years? Like, what's the... Well, it's so weird, too, because it's like the people that would remember me don't count, right? Like, not that... I don't need those people to keep... That's so true. Once I'm memorable to someone, I don't need them to remember me. I need it to be people that I'm not memorable to. They need to remember me until they can't forget me and then they don't matter. What you're saying is so, so, so big. Because I've had it many times where I want to be seen by truly this avatar that still exists in my body, but less and less and less, truly the heaviest frequency, angriest, most shamiest person I can come up with. And I don't even notice, and the ego doesn't notice, how seen I am from 99% of the rest of the people. And it just goes, no, that one fully angry, stuck, blind person that feels like a family member or is a family member. Yeah. Right? It's when that person remembers me that I'm free. And that's not true because even when they do, you'll sit there and go, they might lose it. So it's much more about seeing that pattern that believes in that until it's released fully. And then it actually releases that lowest common denominator person. And imagine if you just release the need to remember because there is no time. And everything in the world will be forgotten at one point. That's a very humbling revelation. But at one point, I won't even be a memory. At one point, my mom won't be a memory. At one point, my daughter won't be a memory, right? Like that we're all just passing things. And my friend Glenn Morshower says, it's because this moment's temporary that it's so beautiful. And if you truly accept the temporary as true, which it is, uh, you're going to have so much more joy and you'll have less of a need to remember and remember more things while experiencing the now much more too. Yeah. There's these things that we think that we want to experience, but you can't just experience on the high the whole time. Everything that you want to experience, it's actually it's temporariness that makes it so exciting. If you know you're going to Disneyland for the day, you're going to enjoy it much more than if you knew you were moving there. If you were moving to Disneyland and just lived in Tomorrowland and knew that that you're... You're in that area. It's the knowing that you're leaving it that makes it better, right? It's the knowing that when you go to Vegas, you're going to leave it. In fact, the longer people go to a trip to Vegas, when they leave it, the more they're like, why did we do that? God damn it. You know, I'm out of money. Like I get your story straight. (laughs) You know, like there's so many things. And so we were talking about this at the event too. Like imagine a massage. Someone gets a massage from a masseuse, but they don't stop. Imagine them getting to hour five and six and like they just keep going you know, and it just starts to hurt. And you're like, I want to go do other things. Right. So this is this is our problem is falling in love is a temporary experience that, you know, we're trying to keep forever. And we don't understand that it's the temporary that makes it much more amazing, right? That I get to feel in love right now. And I understand tomorrow, it might feel different. And that's fine. 
right? And you will enjoy life so much more understanding that it's temporary, choosing to accept the temporary, right? Yeah. I'd love to talk about like, how do we, you know, what are the practical steps for seeing yourself and like identifying the stories, getting them out? Well, let's start with that. These are the three steps, right? So on one egoic level, you think your problem is your circumstance. Like for instance, that guy didn't call you, okay? Now, if you keep your focus on the circumstance, you will stay victim, you will stay in blame, you will not see the truth of what's going on, and you will continually be at a war with yourself and not have any resolution except for the potential of a mediocre external resolution like him calling you. But we didn't get to the root of the problem, right? So the first one is circumstance. The second one is if instead of us being on the circumstance, we notice what we feel about it, right? So instead of he didn't call me, I feel unseen, I feel unspecial, I feel abandoned, I feel unloved, right? Now where's our focus? It's not on the dude, it's on you, right? So now you're present with an inner child and you're going, I see that you feel abandoned. The more you do that, the longer you sit in that, the more it will stop being about the guy at all. And you'll start to notice patterns of in the childhood where the kid felt abandoned that this guy now is just triggering and trying to get you to look at, right? So the first one is the circumstance. The second one is the feeling. I feel abandoned. I feel unloved. We undo, the circumstance can be there for the trigger, but then we release it and we just go, okay, I feel unloved. I feel unseen. I feel unwanted. I feel abandoned. Then the third one is to be with the now. The now wants to see deeper. The now naturally wants to just alchemize and and go deeper with it. So for instance, that actually happened to me this morning. Someone wrote a comment on a video that was completely inaccurate and I have a trigger of being accused of things that aren't true, right? Just like that's a huge trigger of mine because I want to go in and explain myself. And then I notice that often when I do, they don't care. Yes. Right. The person that did is like, oh, yeah, they want to keep the shame on you and blame or whatever. And that I'm always fighting a winning war or losing war when I go explain myself to anyone that wants really to have this kind of feeling of control over me or just shame or whatever. So I almost responded to something that someone had said that was completely inaccurate. And instead, I just decided, okay, I'm going to go on a long walk in the woods without my phone even with me. Like, I won't even have it with me to make videos in the woods or whatever. I just will go on a long walk. And I just started hearing the energy in the body of the kid that feels unsafe, that feels abused, that feels whatever, and saw that he feels he has to carry more than he does. and just kind of let the now be with him. And when I got to the other side of the hike, I decided not to respond and and really said, my intention is to be with God and not keep an image going or fix something. And I'll sacrifice everything to find the highest level of my connection with myself. So I actually did the three, right? Circumstance. This person is saying something that's not true. You know, I, I would be stuck in a very shallow level of anger and blame and triggers if I stay on that level. Second, I go to my feeling. I feel unseen. I feel misrepresented. I feel unprotected. I feel unloved. I feel, uh, you know, all these things. And then, and then third is like to spend an hour and a half with no phone in that energy, really letting the, the hills and the trees take over and, and really get connected to what's more true, right? 
so that anyone can do that. If you're triggered by anything, that person did this, or I feel so mad about this thing with my bills or my taxes or, or, you know, go to when you're triggered, don't fight it at the level of the thing, go to what you feel, and then go deeper, connect with the now, which is actually more true than your passing story that's keeping your small story alive, and get here. The now is trying really hard to get you deeper than this kind of ocean of your soul that you've been water skiing over that you've been staying on top of. It's like going, oh, I got depth in here and I got magic. And when you listen, we're going to eventually alchemize the child that feels unseen. And the world mirrors that. It does. You start to see the world different once that thing's gone. So that's our job right now. You know, ask yourself, what would you rather have? Time with a person, which is much more on a higher density frequency of like the understanding that it's temporary, that, you know, the the relationship title has a false belief of forever. They lived happily ever after all these things, right? So really get clear on what you want and notice the, the freedom of like, I'd like to just spend some time with that person, or I'd like to go out to dinner with that person. I want to watch a movie with that person. That has so much more depth to it than I want that title. Because that title feels like ownership the way we've created it. Yes. You know, I was telling you about the guy that I met in Sedona that I like actually got to play with that and like practice. Okay, what if this is just about like this moment? Like, can that be enough? Yes. And actually that makes it even more special. And I just feel like it's such a gift. The specialness is in the moment, not the ego going, I matter more to this person than other people, right? right? Like that is, that's where the specialness is, the holy shit of the now. If you've ever had a near-death experience or a real breakthrough moment or an ayahuasca journey that took you to the real now, you, trust me, you see the specialness in everything. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. You're shifting the specialness about yourself to the moment. Like every moment's special because every moment's the now, but it's special in a different way. And you really just get to be present in that. And then you're not collecting things that you're, you know, it's kind of like the beach, like you can't take the shells, you can't like enjoy the shells when you're at the beach. Don't take them home because that's like some little crab's house. So leave it there, but just enjoy it. Post many pictures of it on Instagram, but then leave it and go have a new moment. Like now you're, you know, at a restaurant or something. And I just imagine myself like trying to collect things and people and taking them with me. And you're kind of destroying the specialness of the now when you do that. Completely. Yeah, I want to own it. The ego wants to own, right? Yeah. Like there's some things we can own by a house. It's better than renting, I think. But like at the same time, the ego goes, I want to own this moment. I love that person so much. I want to own them. I want to have the title of them. I want to, you know, make them mine and, and create a my energy, right? And that is really dangerous. Like that's where you're going to always be in pain because someone is yours and then eventually they won't be and you're going to be so mad because you created an expectation. I mean, a big quote of mine is no one's ever broken your heart. They broke your expectations. And by breaking your expectations, they get you closer to your heart. So I believe even if you want to go really deep, that the world mirrors what's inside of me and yours mirrors what's inside of you. And we have deep rooted terror fears in our body being not special, being falsely accused of something, all these different things, right? I believe more and more that the universe is saying to us, I need you to transcend this. You can do it internally. You can do it with God. You can do it through meditation. You can do it through nightmares. Or I'm going to make it happen on the external. 
right? Like that thing you're scared of, why does it keep happening? Why are we scared of being abandoned? And then they do it again. Why are we scared of going broke? And then it happens. Why is that? Because the universe is trying to get you to a place of surrender that when you finally experience your worst fear, you go, I really don't know what to do. And you start letting go and the energy inside that was triggered can finally dissolve. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. I kept getting ghosted to use an old term that I don't use anymore. And I stopped and I was like, where am I ghosting myself? Ooh. Like, let's just see where I'm ghosting myself. And I realized, because I was reading Atomic Habit, that I was not keeping my commitments to myself. And as I started making these commitments and keeping them, the desire to hear from these men or whatever, it really lessened. I mean, it just put things back in perspective because, and then I didn't really notice that happening as much. One of the things I find for me that's happening more and more and more is there's less and less of a story of Kyle that can willpower his way to awakening, to growth, to whatever. In fact, it's more and more of a going away, a dissolving, right, of a false self. And so growth is a byproduct of surrender. I find that choosing surrender over control is really where you grow, right? Like, okay, this person ghosted me. There's a level where, you know, you can go, what the hell, and go in there. Or just be in this frequency of you're allowed to feel ghosted and you're already going to remove yourself from the frequency of him and, and go up and move to a, a higher level of worthiness, of love. And you probably wouldn't even attract someone that would ghost as much. Or you'd be even free of that and really enjoy the temporary with them and not see them not calling you as ghosting. Well, it's definitely having the awareness of it. Like while you were talking, I was like, it's kind of like, are you still there? You know what I mean? Like, are you still there? Which is a old story for the five-year-old. And so once I ask myself, do I care if this person is really still there? It's like, no, you know, so to have that kind of process and awareness, it takes, takes away the power of feeling, you know, left or abandoned or whatever is in there. So. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And are they allowed to not care? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like imagine the liberation for you and they're allowed to not care. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And, and what level of light are you emitting on the other side of that, right? Well, when you fo- take your focus off of them and put it back on you and you stay with you, then there's, I'm not leaving me, right? And right. so it just, it, it transcends it. It's just a really powerful exercise. So I love that. Yeah. And all we're, I really believe we're here to do is just alchemize these lies that we created as our survival mechanism in our childhood. and. This type of dating is a great way to do that. Wow, I feel ghosted. That reminds me of when dad left that day. Or I, you know, feel shamed. That reminds me of when my mom did that. Or I feel unseen. And, you know, I'm sure not saying start dating someone that does all those things. But like this process even of finding a partner or being open to a partner is creating these insane opportunities for seeing deeper truths and healing them. Yeah, no, I love that. And then there's almost a motivation to not be with necessarily the same person for me in this process. Cause like, Oh, what is this new person going to bring up for me? It's like a, you know, scavenger hunt of uh, wounding. And so I'm not saying be with a million people, but I am saying like, open your heart to a frequency of that. Your expansion will always be bigger than a specific person being the one. And there might be one person that wants to expand with you in the same way and be an amazing choice. That's awesome. But stop making someone the one. Yeah. 
you know, and going, that's the answer to all my patterns and problems and pain because they eventually won't be. Wasn't that so good? We talked for over an hour. So I just shared the highlights with you. But if you're interested in this topic of conscious relationships, whether you're single or coupled, check out the link to our YouTube video in the show notes. Isn't it crazy how you can step back and see the dynamics that really have nothing to do with the adult version of you or the person you're in relationship with? It gives me so much peace. But also, feeling all those feelings is exhausting. This whole process of dating and meeting new people and growing is tough. Honestly, it takes a lot out of me. I'm contemplating taking a well-deserved break from the dating scene just to focus on me again. You know, just a short hiatus, maybe take a couple weeks and integrate all the lessons from Sedona and Patrick, focus on my inner child. And of course, just at the moment that I'm contemplating taking a break from men, I get a text from a dad from my son's school. Hey, my company's doing a fancy VIP event next Friday at the Yacht Club. It's a daytime deal. Free booze, free food, yachting. I have some clients coming, but I figured if you like the sea, boats, you could come hang. Oh my God, wait, is he inviting me as a friend? Or as a potential client? Or, oh my God, as a date? Ugh, who cares? It sounds amazing. I text back, how can I say no to that? I'm in. I mean, I can always take a hiatus another day, right? I hope you love that episode of Love Before 100. Be sure to tune in next time to see what happens and to help me cross another thing off my bucket list. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at Love Before 100 to guarantee you don't miss a thing. Let's spend the-